Sorry about what you're about to hear. There were leaf blowers, dogs, kids, and motorcycles. Hey, what do you expect? We were in Fresno. I like it sounding really good. I like it sounding really good. Is my voice sounding really good? Your voice sounds awesome. Excellent. So, Nico had a little lamb, a little <laughs> lamb, a little lamb. Nico had a little lamb. So it appears for the future, don't plug in the external hard drive. That's where the buzzing is coming. Ah. All right. All right. Well, um, I'm going to get my script open. What are you drinking, your motor? I am drinking a nine-year-old milk stout brewed by Nico. Okay. It's, uh, I'm not drinking it yet. I'm still enjoying it and staring at it. I can't <laughs> drink and speak at the same time, as we discovered recently. All right, well, let's get started. Okay. Three, two. One. You're listening to Beer School. We're here to help you and your friends learn to mic. Learn to mic? Learn to like, uh, when, wait. In three, three two, two, one. You're listening to Beer School. You're listening to Beer School. All right, we're going to do this one more Don't you have that written down? I do have it written down. <laughs> I'm laughing because Nico is looking at him. This is the creator of Beer School. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? On three, two, two one. You're listening to Beer School. We're here to help you and your friends learn to mic, mic more than one kind of beer. There's lots of beers to like. Some are made right down the street from where you live, and others have to travel halfway around the world just to get to you. Learn why beer tastes like it does, how other styles came about, and all the adverbs you might use to describe what you were tasting. The best part about beer school is the homework. It's beer. It's the only show that has homework for beer. Beer for homework. Exactly. You know what I think our problem is, starting off today on this show, is uh, you just had your first sip of beer. That's right. I You're was, not used to that was, coming in here. Uh, <laughs> we come in, we go, you know, so usually we have pre-beers at the 21st Amendment, which are uh, the, the beer of choice. It's actually the beer of beer school, which is bitter American. And uh, today we have the publican of the 21st Amendment sitting right next to us. Good morning. Hey, everybody. I'm John Foster, and that's Motor sitting across from me. forgot to introduce ourselves. I know. Again. You know, we always do that. <laughs> I um, think that that's sort of a shtick by now, forgetting to introduce ourselves. Whatever they know us by now. And we're, we're down here in Fresno, California. We're actually out on the road, out in the fresh air. We're having a beer school by the pool in the sunny outside instead of in the uh, unsunny inside. But it's springtime here in Fresno, so it's not 115 degrees. It's only about 70. Or else we'd be doing beer school in the pool. <laughs> and it's quite nice. My name is Nico Frecha. Welcome to Beer School. Good. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. So we're drinking uh, a beer that's nine years old. That is a beer that Nico brewed himself. And it's a milk stout. But it's gotten uh, a little bit of sourness from the age in the bottle. It's still clear. And you get a little bit of that stout character. But don't you, don't you think it tastes like a Belgian sort of, sort yeah, of stout? Yeah, but you also still taste the, the sort of milk stouty background. It's got a little bit of sweetness in the finish. It's very complex. We've come this, up... We've come a, up a, again, this is a beer that's well, none of the people can get. So this is kind of an <laughs> unfortunate thing. But this, is a, this would be something that if you had your own beer fridge, you could store this in the back and keep this and let it age and, and taste it as it got older. I hear and, a theme developing here, John. Do you have a theme? Yeah, it's called What's in Nico's Fridge. <laughs> <laughs> What's in Nico's Beer Fridge? It's not ne just fridge. Nico is a hoarder, and he uh, collects beer, and then he doesn't like to ever drink it because it's too perfect. 
And I discovered a few years ago that I needed to let go of that philosophy and realize that beer was for drinking. And just because I was saving vertical renditions of every great beer ever made, that they wouldn't be great forever and I'd have to drink them. But it brings up a good point. Probably some of your listeners are thinking, did he say nine years old? And yes, uh, beer can age. A number of styles age very well. Uh, For instance, barley wine generally is not considered to reach its peak of flavor until about three years. Um, One of the original barley wines, which we have some of uh, somewhere in here. We literally have three dozen bottles of beer out here. Uh, we've got a cooler and two full cardboard boxes. We're not going to get through it all. And no. this is a Thomas Hardy's <laughs> Ale. This one is actually a vintage 1994. So this is a th- beer that was bottled 13 years ago by the Eldridge Pope Brewery in uh, Dorset, England. And this beer was, uh, I believe, started in 1965, I want to say, to commemorate the um, birth of Thomas Hardy, who was born in Dorchester. And uh, they made a very strong malty beer that they called a barley wine. And what we have learned is that this particular beer, the Thomas Hardy's, still tastes well after 25 years. So red wine drinkers, take note. Your beer can age too. And I have a saying that I like to throw out, which is, put your beer down. (laughs) (laughs) If if it can handle it. Not just down your throat, but... In your in your uh, beer fridge in the cellar. Well, we have a lot of a lot of different beers here, and I thought we would just kind of go through what's oh, wait, in the fridge. Before we get started, I have there's a uh, a guy who is on uh, on the forum. Actually, he sent me an email, and he had two questions. Okay. And one of them is is that we talk about our uh, our glasses, our beer glasses, and you know, he's like, okay, well, so you said the pint glass that is in every pub is the wrong glass, technically. It's a shaker glass yes. or a mixer glass. Yes. And um, it has all the properties of glass that we don't like. And so today we're drinking out of these very beautiful Belgium triple caramelette glasses, which are very thin glass so that the beer can warm up more quickly. And uh, it's also made so that there's a big area that um, allows for the beer to be smelled. To contain this is, the this is what we call a tulip glass because it looks like a tulip uh, that is opening it's got a large bulb at the bottom like a cognac snifter, and then it tapers to a tall, narrow opening at the top. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the Belgians have a different beer for practically, I'm sorry, a different glass for practically every beer. Yeah, you go into the, you go into the pubs there, and there's so much glassware hanging from the ceiling. It's amazing, and it's and all it's wonderful. to the And every, the beer. everything is matched to the beer, and part of that, of course, is just uh, gimmick and trying to, you know, have your own special special glass. But the actual shape of the glass is very important. This triple carmelite glass, for instance, triple carmelite is a triple, Belgian-style triple, so it's mm-hmm. very malty, very strong, uh, and it needs to warm up to appreciate it. So when you hold the glass in your hands, your hand warms the, the bottom, and you swirl it, and it releases all the volatile aroma compounds. Mm-hmm. But then when it's coming up through the, through the tapered, narrow top part, right. those aroma compounds are uh, focused in a in a basically a tunnel straight into your nose. So the idea is to release the aroma and then channel it straight up into your nose. So his other question was, so beer's coming out of my fridge and it, it's obviously too cold. So do you keep your beer fridge at a specific temperature or do you just let the beer warm up naturally? Well, I keep the beer fridge at about 50 because mm-hmm. uh, almost all the beer in there are ales that are best served at that temperature. It's a good temperature to store beer at. Um, but you can store it colder, and that's fine, and just let it warm up. 
But the general rule of thumb is that you want to drink beer at roughly the temperature at which it was fermented. Okay. And lagers are fermented anywhere between 35 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So generally, we drink a lager at around 40. And uh, beer out of the walk-in at the 21st Amendment, I think, comes out right at about 40 degrees and stays chilled for that run. Uh, ales generally are fermented anywhere between 55 and 70 degrees, but 55 to 60 is sort of this considered the standard for um, for the uh, British. And most people drink their beer much colder than that. And, of course, cold freezes the taste buds, so you don't really get to appreciate the beer. You need so, to let that beer warm so up. So Bud is fermented at 32, which is why it tastes so good? Well, Bud <laughs> is lagered for a very long time. It is fermented cold, and then it's lagered. Mm-hmm. But that a lot of that is marketing, and you always see the ads. like Cold brew. Yeah, 7-Eleven, it's like, the coldest beer in town. Well, Budweiser doesn't have a lot of flavor or character to begin with, and freezing it freezes your taste buds. Right. So when you experience it, what your, your, your experience of Budweiser is really a tactile experience of the carbonation bubbliness and the coldness, and that together amounts to what is perceived as a refreshing drink, and it is perfectly refreshing if right. it's drunk ice cold. But I challenge anybody out there to take a can or a bottle of Bud and put it in the sun and let it warm up to room temperature and drink it. It's it not is good. not pleasant. No, it's it- really sweet. It doesn't have any any malt bitterness to balance. I mean, any hot bitterness to balance it out. So it's just not a, a good beer. We figured it was probably uh, ten on the IBU scale, or eleven is what they they announce. Uh, it's somewhere around there. A threshold level for for most human beings for perceiving bitterness is about fifteen IBUs. Okay. And Budweiser used to hover right around sub threshold, so it was a twelve to fourteen IBUs. Right. And uh, so that what that means is most people don't perceive the bitterness. And over 15, most people perceive a little bit. So uh, it hovers just around, just below threshold. Cool. Well, that, I hope that answers the question for our listener. And uh, thanks for writing in. Exactly. That's cool. Um, so, Nico, we finished our beers in our in our. Uh, well, let's let's take a look at some of what we've got. So we here. have some amazing things. We have some stuff from Belgium. We have a lot of vintage stuff. Let me just pull some of these out and take a look at what we've got to kind of talk about them. But I mentioned the Thomas Hardy's earlier. We actually have a 1994 Thomas Hardy's to 1995s. So why don't we open one of these 1995s? All right. Because as a hoarder, I never want to open that 94, even sure though I can. probably should. No, um, this, as I mentioned earlier, is a barley wine. Um, let's see if the alcohol is listed on the bottle. It's probably not, but it's around 10%. We've never had a barley wine on beer school before. No, I don't think we have. We yeah. didn't. Uh, it, for our uh, our uh, Epiphany beers, we didn't have any barley wines. No. Well, we talked about, I mean, you know, one of the things was, was I like barley wines a lot, but it's one of those things that it took me more than a couple of years to really appreciate what it was that I was drinking because it's such a departure from beer uh, or a beer style in general a lot of people like to jump into them because they have a lot of alcohol yeah jump right for to the people 11. who are going and they, going don't, down that and they path. don't like it but they drink it because the, because of the alcohol yeah but it really is an acquired taste and let me tell you it's one of those things where you'll try a barley wine eh, and then you'll try it again eh, and you'll try it again eh, and all of a sudden the 10th time you try it it's like the clouds open the angels start singing <laughs> and you say <laughs> I get it. Oh, my <laughs> God. And then there's no turning back. To me, the Sierra Nevada Bigfoot Barley Wine is uh, actually the 1995 vintage was my favorite. I may have a bottle of that. But to me, the 1995 Bigfoot Barley Wine was the maybe the best beer ever made. It's kind of fun to be able to taste barley wines as they get older. So, for example, in the 21st Amendment uh, refrigerator, there is a, 
a couple of ca- uh, casks, uh, kegs of old barley wine. And wow. I remember the, uh, the 2006, mm. we tried the 2006 this year. And I would say that all of the little spikies, all the little things that, that um, you know, were pronounced in, in the beer from last year got smoothed out. It was just like a smoother version of the same beer. Well, barley wines are, are brewed with a very high hop, hopping rate. And so when you drink a young barley wine, it's March. The uh, Sierra Nevada Bigfoot 19, uh, rather 2007 was just released last month. So get some of that and try that. It's a big malty beer with a lot of hop bitterness and a lot of hop aroma. But what happens with aging is the hops start to drop out. The malt becomes a little bit more prominent. The malt starts to change more into an oxidized flavor with a big beer uh, often turns into character of raisins, currants, plums, and becomes more sherry-like. And then the beer conditions. And scientists don't really even understand what happens. It's the same thing that happens in a bottle of red wine that's aging for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Chemical reactions happen and they change the flavor. And what we just call that conditioning. And uh, this beer, which was bitter when it was young, is like drinking... um, It's like drinking chocolate. It's like drinking a port, almost. Mm -hmm. And then we call this the port of the beer world. It's very, very malty. Oh, right. It's so, got a really deep fig flavor to it. Yeah. It well, earlier today we were out at the farmer's market and I'm thinking of all the all the uh, the dried fruit that was there and the, the flavored raisins. And the figs that we bought. Those were good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I'm getting some chocolate. I'm getting mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of other complexities um, that I'm not quite just being able to describe. It's almost like it's almost like a pumpkin pie. Yeah, you you get bitter chocolate in the start. Um, I get that fig. I get black licorice. Oh, there's the black licorice. It's very, it's very, uh, in, very far in the end. And the whole beer is just very soft and sticky on your tongue. Yeah, it's very there's, viscous. Cause so it's, a couple of things. There's no carbonation at all, hardly. Virtually flat. Virtually yep. flat. And so a lot of people would get this beer and they go, "This beer is off. There's no bubbles." And, uh, but that's the style of the of the barley wines, right? <laughs> wow, uh, this is so. It's it's this is a, another example of a beer that will the flavor profile will change as it warms up. Absolutely, and so you'll taste more of those. Well, actually, you won't taste more of those things. You'll just change. It'll taste different as it goes, which is one of the things that's that's really fun about a beer or letting a beer warm up in your hand because you get to experiences that it first came out of the bottle cold and then it changes into something else which is not something that uh sorry about the uh, hedge clipper in the background guys <laughs> <clears throat> it is fresno and, and that's what people do here it's true they mow their lawns or is that a uh might be a leaf blower could be it's one of those sounds you know that's hard to identify uh, I think the beer coming up t- to room temperature is very similar to uh, letting a red wine breathe. When you first pour it out of the bottle and you taste it, it's very different than when it, you taste it 20 minutes later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's do another vintage since I've got it here. I mentioned the Bigfoot Barley Wine. And I happen to have a 1994 and a 1995 and a 1996 oh, man. all in front of me. <laughs> So um, I, I would say that we hit the jackpot when we said, <laughs> let's go find out what's in Nico's fridge. <laughs> so w- which one do you guys want to open up? The 1990, 
Why is the cap on the uh, the 96, which would be the newest, not have the date on it? I can't answer that question. Uh, maybe they ran out of caps that year. <laughs> they they like, all still have the date on them, but that one doesn't. It looks like the stout, like the, uh, the Sierra Nevada stout, which, is a blue, which has a blue cap normally. Yeah, they could have run out. Let's do the 96. 96? 96. Motor says 96. Here we so go. The that best way thing to do is to hold the, the, the uh, beer up to the microphone and get the psh, psh, oh. yeah. Well, the thing is with these barley wines, we're not really getting any because there's no carbonation. It's a no beautiful color. It looks flat, but So let's looks... uh, wait until we get to the nice carbonation. So this beer. is 11 years old, for this those of 90. you who can't do math or arithmetic. This was bottled in 96. Yeah, it was probably brewed in late 1995. Bottled in 96. Drinking 11 years later. Now this, one of the reasons I love this beer is just because of the aroma. When you bring that, when you bring the Thomas Hardy's to your nose, it really, it, it smells almost like a veal stock or a Madeira. It's really mm-hmm. um, different. This is just absolutely beautiful malt. It smells like crystal malt. It smells yeah. like chunks of crystallized sugar. It just smells wonderful to me. It's almost like uh, oatmeal cookies right out of the oven. Ah, as we oh, all sip. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, you're missing out, everyone. Wow. <laughs> and this beer, unbelievably, still has a lot of hot bitterness. It does. has a lot of hot finish. has a lot of hot flavor. Yeah, I so, like this. Unlike oh, the, this is beautiful. Unlike the... Uh, the Thomas Harding, this doesn't taste like chocolate. No. No chocolate at all. The Thomas Hardy's truly was a port, and it, it was a beer that, you know, you could have enjoyed with a, uh, a plum pudding after dinner or, or, you know, a rich dessert. This beer is more like an imperial IPA that has just an intense malt flavor, a lot of hot bitterness still in it, um, but it's just a, this is a sipping beer. And it's got a really nice... We can't drink anything after this. <laughs> it's got a really powerful hop beginning. Like, and usually a barley wine has a very uh, malt, sweet beginning. This is just announces itself. Hi, I'm hops. This is also <laughs> a, a beer that <laughs> if you... You might be able to find different places around the country because Sierra Nevada makes it around the country. And Bigfoot, when it comes out this time of the year, look for it. It might be available. Buy some, put some down, mm-hmm. enjoy some now, and see how it goes over the years. When we opened the 21st Amendment in 2000, we had actually been purchasing uh, cases of the Bigfoot Barley Wine, the Anchor Christmas Beer, the Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale for years. And our goal was to be one of the only, if not the only place that I knew of at that time in the country that had a regular vertical selection of beers so when we actually opened in 2000 we already had i think three years worth of beer yeah i remember that and we had a a vertical menu where we had 98 99 and 2000 bigfoot barley wines etc etc and the idea was this educational notion of let's try the brand new beer against the beer that's three years old and that that's the way that we can talk about what the aging that was an education for me anyway hold on a second let's uh wait just a bit. Okay. For the dogs to stop barking? No, no, no. For the thing to stop oh. going. He'll be done in a minute. That's okay, because we can't burp on Mike anyway, right? Sure you can. Sure you can. Um. <coughs> you just can't say... The thing we, the thing I'd like to do in the show always is to keep language to 
normal so that you know if kids are listening it's not yeah. a big deal and because we really look for that under 18 market <laughs> well no it's just a, it, it's not bad it's just that it's just that i've heard you know like the brewing network show is an, in, is an interesting thing because the people bombs they're or... always dropping bombs on that and that means that well a dirty sanchez is when you yeah <laughs> But the idea is is that you know we should be able to have it's part of their educational mission exactly we should be able to have the conversation without anyone uh, you know without anybody doing uh, that th- those things I mean just like if we were doing it at the restaurant yeah I totally damn okay are we back right, we're back while we continue to sip this beautiful elixir let's go through some other things and just talk about it. and there's a, a bottle of uh, J W Lee J W Lee's Harvestdale 1998 this is an 11 and a half percent alcohol. Um, British strong beer as well. Uh, so well, let's wait till next spring and drink this when it's twenty years old. Sounds we? good. I'm I sorry, that's a good plan. Yeah, twenty years old. <laughs> or we could wait until it's legal. Some pirate. We could do that. Uh, a couple other vintage beers in the collection. Uh, we have some Sam Adams Triple Bock. I've had one of those. These are both 1995s. So the so the thing that happened was is that I did. Let's see, last time I was here, it was Nico's birthday party, and I broke out one of those, and it, in fact, was infected. That beer was bad. Really? Yep. Was it? Yep. So, you know, sometimes beer gets old gracefully, and sometimes it just goes, goes and dies. Just like people. Just like people. <laughs> I've got a uh, 1994 Scaldis Noel, Ooh. which is a Belgian Christmas ale. It's from the Bush Beer, uh, the Bush Brewery in... Um, this is a brewery owned by the Dubuisson family, and the uh, Dubuisson in French means bush. And in in Belgium, this is called bush beer. And uh, in America, we cannot call it bush beer because it's too close to Anheuser-Busch. Yes. And, a cust- and a consumer might confuse a 12% alcohol Belgian-style Christmas beer with Budweiser. <laughs> in a, uh, we wouldn't want to have a that. 250-milliliter bottle? In a 250-milliliter bottle, yes. It's got red... It's tinfoil on the top. Yes. Uh, we have a little nip bottle, which is, uh, we call it a nip bottle because it's little, literally, I'm going to go have a quick nip, and it's, um, um, what size is this? I can't even tell. Uh, seven ounces, seven fluid ounces. And this is from the Rogue Brewery up in Newport, Oregon. It's called Old Crustacean Barley Wine, 1995. 120 IBUs for Damn. any of you who So that's are way, way, way up there on the IBU scale. Yeah. Usually uh, IPA is only around uh, 70 to 100 IBUs. So to get 120, two things have to happen. It has to have a lot of malt and it has to have a lot of hops. Because if it just has a lot of hops, it's not going to be balanced. It's going to... Bitter, 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 bitter. Or bitter. it's going to taste like sugar water. And that's not a good beer at all. No. Not. Not. The uh, this is warming up very nicely. I'm having a good time with this beer. Sierra Nevada makes delicious stuff. That is, uh, and they've made delicious stuff consistently over the life of the brewery. That is a sublime beer. Sublime. It really is a sublime beer. I know that a lot of people give just Sierra Nevada. They're like, mm, that's kind of like your entry level pale. Like, why are why are you drinking? That? I can get that at the gas station. I can, but it's a really good beer. What is that one? This is, um, it's got a really, the label's got water damage. It's The label has water damage. It's called I Do Brew, 
And it was a, a beer that we made at the 21st Amendment and bottled and labeled for in honor of my brother's wedding on nice. o- in October of, um, let me think about this, maybe October of 2002. So this was his wedding brew, and it's called I Do Brew. And I don't remember what beer it was, but it was very good. <laughs> uh, uh, a couple other Scaldi's Noels in here. Let's see what else we have as far as some, some fun Belgian stuff. I have a beer here, actually. It's not Belgian. It's very interesting, though. We, we, this Ooh, was a I've beer that we this tried really good. at our holiday yeah. beer school uh, this past Christmas at the 21st Amendment. And this is called Le, Le Baladin Noel, and it's actually an Italian beer. And it's a 9% beer that was a uh, sour Belgian-style beer with a cherry flavor, as mm-hmm. I yeah. recall. Yep. And something that I thought, if you were making like a duck breast with glazed cherry sauce, this would be the perfect accompaniment. Or a pork roast or anything like that. But um, this was a really good beer. And this is actually a brew pub in Italy that um, bottles a little bit of their beer and ships it here. Mm-hmm. So the, it's an interesting brewery in that all the labels from that are that same funky, weird color style. Whoever is the graphic artist for that really outdid themselves for that label. Indeed. It's we don't have much, our Pantone book here this week uh, to we check the beer the colors. Bit, but <laughs> I've only got one little slip, sip of this um, Bigfoot barley wine left, and I don't want to drink it because it's... You just <laughs> want to sit there quietly and worship it's it, don't you? It's going to make me weep. It, it really does. <laughs> I mean, it's like the most incredible. I thought the 95 was good, but this is wonderful. Uh, it's fantastic stuff all around. The Barley Wine Festival at the Tornado was pretty fun, too, this year. It's You know, it takes work to do. It's like Oktoberfest. It is. Uh, the way that I did it this year is that I kind of skipped the, uh, the big Saturday event, and uh-huh. I went on Monday and just went through... You know, That's key. Time. The only problem with that is that all the winners and all the best ones are out. In fact, they're out by 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Right. So, uh, While we're on the barley wine theme, Remember I have a little bottle, bottle of uh, home-brewed barley wine. Again, now let me think about this for a minute. The bottle, is, for the listeners, is about the size of a pickle. This is a... Um, uh, it looks like medicine would be in it in the Wild West. <laughs> I believe I brewed... Actually, I know I did. I brewed this beer in 1997. In uh, May of 1997, and I bottled it a couple months later, and so this beer has been in this bottle for 10 years almost. Wow. And uh, at the time, I was working at a restaurant, and we had, this is a Pellegrino soda. They're little okay, yeah. mini Pellegrino sodas. Uh, They're yeah. called, I think, Arancha or something yeah. like that. And I would just tell everybody, save all those bottles. Uh, because it's a little like seven ounce bottle, and traditionally barley wine. This is what we were talking about with the rogue earlier. They're called nip bottles, and traditionally barley wines are often bottled in this because barley wine is so strong, and it's uh, meant to really be an after dinner sort of port beer that it's served in a smaller portion, so you get a small glass and enjoy it. But anyway, let's pop this baby open while we're wow, I'm on impressed. the barley wine. This is really road and uh, finish up this segment of the. Uh, this is very generous that we get to have this. Yeah. This might be the last bottle, too. Uh, I just like the bottle. It's time to start drinking more San Pellegrino. <laughs> or, uh... <laughs> so It's so cute! This is not as dark as the first two that we've had, but it's very clean, no very clear. The there's, no, um, there's no cloudiness or anything. So 
It's got a nice it's little... It's got a lot of carbonation in it still. ...sediment on the bottom that has been helping to protect it all these years. Mmm. Okay, there's that hint of chocolate in the... A uh, lot of malt. Very sweet. Yeah, you smell a lot of malt in the nose. And, uh... Yeah, this is more like the Thomas hop. Hardy's. It's very, um... Um, buttery, mm-hmm. rich, plummy. Still a lot malt. of hops in it, though. Not as much. Yeah, as it's, in it's got it's got more more bite than Thomas Hardy. Not as much as the. Uh, as it's the got more bite. No, though. it's not Correct. like the Bigfoot. It's got a nice flavor right at the back. Okay, you know nothing special. Oh, how do you mean? Say it was that? ten years old. Thank you very much for sharing that. My pleasure. I've got two beers here that I want to talk about because I really love this brewery and I love this beer. All right, so it's I'm called, just going to preface this. Yep. This is a beer. These two beers, the beer school people will not like. Really? Well, because it's acquired taste. I mean, this I don't is know. A, I this know. is a graduate course. This at is beer a graduate school. course. Now, this beer. is not the lambics. These are the. These is this is a saison. I think the lambic is something that definitely is, a, is a, an acquired taste, but. This is a brewery called the Saison Dupont, or Brasserie Dupont, and they're in Belgium. And their standard beer is called a Saison Dupont, and it's called a Vielle Provision beer, which means an old provision beer. Uh, a Saison is a seasonal brew that was made in at the end of the brewing season, which always ended in March, and meant to lay down for the summer months. And that's why they called it a provision beer because that was their provision for the summer. Often on the on the Belgian farm. Uh, farmhouses, they would hire seasonal workers to come in and work the farms in the summer and work the harvest, and part of their pay would be in beer. And uh, generally, this is what it was. But the Saison Dupont uh, standard Belgian farmhouse ale, it's just a beautiful beer. It's 6.5% alcohol. It's clear in color. It's got a lot of hop flavor. It's got a spicy character to it from the Belgian... uh, yeast and malts and then they make a winter beer which is their uh, what they call avec le bon vœu de la brasserie which means with the best wishes of the brewery and it's a a vintage dated bottle each year they make it and uh, it's basically the same Saison Dupont 6.5% farmhouse sale kicked up to 9.5% so it's a golden beer that has the same spiciness and the same hop kick but it's just stronger, and it is just wonderful. If th- this is sold, uh, we have seven fifty mil bottles here. But they also sell it in the regular. I think it's eleven and a half or twelve mm-hmm. ounce. So I had, one of these, <clears throat> I had one of these that um, was a gift from Nico from the very first Belgian beer school that we had at the twenty one A, and I stored that in my fridge for I don't know three years, two years, and then when I moved out of my flat to go sailing around the world, I brought that to the to the brewery and shared it. And the consensus was not not well rounded. Lots of people liked it, but everyone, a lot of people, didn't like it. it too was bad. Too bad. Right. It was like more for me. It was one of the best beers. So well, good. let's talk about a beer that people probably wouldn't like at first blush. Uh, <laughs> I've got two beers right here. Oh, right. That Dude are lambics. Uh, these are made in Belgium. This is from the Hansen's uh, Brewery in. Dwarp, which is also one of my favorite names. Dwarp. Dwarp, dwarp Belgium. Just, wasn't he on Star Trek? It's just fun to say, Dwarp. Lord he Dwarp. Was, wasn't he the bad guy? No. <laughs> uh, these are not vintage dated, but I've had these two bottles for at least seven years. 
So, um, you know, they've been around a good while. They've traveled with me through through. And I've had one. I've had what you're holding in your left hand. Uh, I also had one of those in my fridge. Oh yeah, and that's a beer that wow. Most people are when they first try it. If they've never tried that style of beer, they're like, "Why are we drinking this?" Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unusual and difficult, especially for people that are brought up on soda pop and Budweiser in this country. Right. Uh, but you have to realize that this is the beer of choice in this region, and people that grow up there drink this as naturally as they drink water. Because they're used to the flavors. Yeah. But let's talk about what this is for a minute. These are Lambic beers. Uh, we have a Goose and we have a Creek. A Lambic is a spontaneously fermented beer, and it is an Appalachian Contrôle in that Lambics can only be made in the Zane Valley, which is to the eastern side of Brussels. And lambics are spontaneously fermented, which means that the natural flora and fauna and yeasts that live in the brew house inoculate the beer. They actually brew a beer, and then they run it into this, what they call a cool ship, which is like a shallow copper canoe. Mm -hmm. And they hoist it up to the ceiling to expose it to the night air. Generally, these farmhouse breweries either have some open ceilings or they have missing slats, and they don't ever clean. Cleaning is bad. You yeah. can't clean the rafters. The dust, the spider webs, and everything that lives up there is what provides the beer the character. So they let it sit overnight and get naturally inoculated with wild yeasts and bacteria from the night air. And the certain flora and fauna that lives in this valley provides these beers with their absolute unique character. Uh, the fresh, young lambic is put into oak casks and aged for up to three years. And then the art of the lambic brewer is in the blending. Uh, old lambic, pure old lambic, is relatively unheard of. It is made by a couple people like Cantillon, but um, generally the idea is that you age it in oak for three years and then you blend. And what you do is you take some of that brand new young lambic, which still has effervescence and live yeast and sugar, and you blend it into the older lambic. And therefore, you give the older lambic, which by the time it's three years old is virtually flat uh, and very funky some life, some character. So the art of the blender is what percentage, what type of sugar content, from which batch are you going to do it, what are you going to blend into. And some of the best blenders, like Frank Bone, who owns the Bone um, Brewery in Brussels, uh, are masters at this, and they take their best blends, and they call them cuvées. He, he makes a beer called Marriage Parfait, and it's a, which of course means perfect marriage. And it's when he decides that he's got particular barrels that are just perfect, that are, that are the best blends, among the best blends he's ever had. And these beers can age. But they're very light in alcohol. They're only about 5.5%. But the flavor and the character that you get from the beer that's naturally fermented is very sour. Uh, one of the terms they used to describe it is horse blanket. Right. Yeah. So it's very leathery and musty and horse blankety and sour. And all the listeners are going, why would I want to drink that? Because it's really good. <laughs> and the beauty of the beer is that it is literally as if you opened a door and stepped back in time 500 years. Because this beer, unlike almost every beer made throughout the world today, tastes exactly like it would have tasted 500 years ago. Which is rare. Which I mean, is we don't really rare. We don't get to, you know, because everything is more modern. Because we've had modern modern packaging, 
We have modern oxygen containment of the cap of the seal. Scientifically, and, people understand what goes on in the making right. of beer now. You know, we're yeah. not we're not you know we're we're shipping things all around the world because we have refrigeration, and we didn't have that. 500 years ago. I mean, the only way that you could try that beer 500 years ago was to go to that place. And the idea of, of the Appalachian Controle is something people don't know about beer. There's a number of places in the world that make beers that are controlled just like wine. Uh, and I use the term Appalachian Controle because people are familiar with that from the wine world, which means that it is a name that is controlled in a certain region. If you you cannot make a Chardonnay and call it a Chardonnay anywhere else in the world but in the Chardonnay region of France. Uh, of France. Uh, same thing with Champagne. Well, mm-hmm. there are actually several Appalachian Controlets with beer. Kolsch. Kolsch is one. IPA. A, you have to be in the or, city of Cologne. West Coast IPA. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can only uh, make a West Coast I- IPA if you're on the West Coast. So, so the Goose is the name for a, a plain blended Lambic, which means blend of old and young. Uh, over here we have Oud Creek, which means Old Creek, and Creek is the uh, the uh, Flemish word for cherry, and that's made with cherries. So they re-ferment cherries into the beer after um, initial fermentation. So if you look at the place. label, it looks like dude. The the first letter looks like in not an O but a D. It looks like yeah. dude. <laughs> and actually, I don't know if they still do this, but six or seven years ago when we first started buying this, uh, at the la- I mean, you look at the bottle. It's a 750-ml champagne bottle. It's got a cork and a cage on the top, and it's got a label that looks like it was printed in 1850. <laughs> and it comes in a, a wooden box that looks like it was built in 1850. Right. And it's like, wow, this is just it looks like something you, found in a shipwreck. Where did you get the vintage beer? It's yes. great. Dug it up out of my grandmother's garage. My grandmother was into dude goose before she knew that it was... I got cool a, I got a beer here that we have to open. It's All one right. of my favorite beers in the universe. It's Watermelon called, wheat? It's called Traquair House, and it is one of the quintessential Scottish beers. It's made in uh, Scotland. I can't believe we're going to have this. Uh, it's just <laughs> no, no, no. This is an amazing because like, to find this now is it, you know, have to seek it out in it, the United States it, anyway. It's, it's a really a special beer. It is. Uh, does it have an alcohol in here? This is the classic uh, Scottish wee heavy. And the name Wee Heavy is funny to me because it is exa- it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, ooh, that beer is Wee Heavy, isn't it? And that was kind of like a yeah. Cockney American accent trying to be Scottish. But um, <laughs> it's made at a brewery uh, just outside of Edinburgh. And it's it called Trocare House. It might be the last beer that you have before you trek home through the through the cold. Exactly. Uh, you, you're having a session beer at a, uh, a pub in Scotland and the winds are whipping, the rain is raining, and you say to the bartender before you're ready to leave, ah, give me a dram, a wee heavy, which means, you know, give me, a, give me a wee heavy, give me a little shot of the strong beer to fortify me against the wind. There's a drawing on the back of the famous Bear Gates, and somebody out there is going to be able to correct me on this, but this is brewed at an old... Uh, Trecare House, which is an old royal house in Scotland. And the gates were closed when uh, I can't remember if it was Bonnie Prince Charlie or Mary Queen of Scots left Scotland but they're lo- closed and locked forever until a Scot rules the throne of England again. <laughs> so well, I'm getting a lot of malt in the, uh, in the nose. So once again, our our theme for today, what we're pulling out are the the brownish beers. Yeah, these are all 
dark. I mean, like. Uh, well, we're kind of doing this backwards. We started with the strong beers. Yeah. And we're moving down to the lighter beers just because we can. We can do whatever we want. But this is just a beautiful, balanced, malty, rich beer. Not a ton of hops. Um, doesn't, doesn't have any smoky peatiness like a lot of Scottish ales mm-hmm. do. It's just got a beautiful, deep, complex By malt comparison flavor. to the barley wine that we were drinking, this is just so subtle. I think I'm getting a lot of butterscotch when I stick my nose in the glass. Yep. It's a lovely... Just imagine enjoying this beer. Ah. It's got a nice, grainy, um, bready, yeasty aroma. Biscuity. In the background. Biscuity. That's one of the few words I know. (laughs) Biscuity is excellent. Excellent. Moto has a descriptor of seven words, and biscuity (laughs) is is, I love throwing out biscuity. Isn't isn't that that an offensive word to some brewers to call their beer biscuity? If they weren't trying to be biscuity. Well, there's a type of malt called biscuit malt. Right. And it it is exactly what it sounds. It gives a biscuity flavor. And this is made with English and Scottish malts, which tend to have that sort of crisp biscuit character. So mm-hmm. it's not out of place at all. But isn't this a nice beer? Oh, it's wonderful. What's another one of those beers you just want to sip? You know, and- this this beer I want to taste in 10 minutes when it's actually warmed up even more. Well, we can just wait for 10 minutes. We could wait for 10 we minutes. We could cut to commercial. <laughs> we could cut oh, to we don't commercial. have commercials. This is uh, fun. This is uh, a beer. Look at this. this is really – okay, this label – is very uh, appealing to me. Yeah, it's nice. This is uh, Pyramids Anniversary Ale. It, this was brewed for their 10th anniversary, which was in... Uh, they're about to have their... This should be at 20. 20. Yeah. Their 20 they're, was they either... They should probably be at about 20. No, their 20 was either last Thursday or it's this Thursday. Yeah, yeah so they're probably week. right about it's at 20. this week. Yeah. So they're celebrating 20 years. Wait, hold and on. Hold that thought. Say that again. Ozzy! Come here. They're celebrating 20 years. MCM is 19XC94. IV4. So they started in 84? No, it doesn't make sense because it'll be 22 years. It'll be 23 years. It's like 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Yeah, go ahead. So this is a beer that I picked up at the Pyramid uh, anniversary party in, um, must have been 1997 when they had their 10-year anniversary because they're celebrating 20 years now. I've never wanted to open this beer because I only have one of it, so. Guess we're not opening it. Guess we're not going to open that. (laughs) Can I I gander at the label for a moment? It's also a barley wine, so I think we should move on from the barley wines. I do want to throw a little love out to Dan Gordon down at Gordon Biersch in San Jose. I've got a bunch of his beer in my cooler because uh, we took a tour of the brewery a couple weeks ago and he was kind enough to let us take a variety pack home. But uh, their Meritzen is their highest seller, and that's in a bottle. It's a lovely amber lager, German-style lager. Motor. And uh, they also bottle the Pilsner, which is wonderful. We love the Pilsner. And their Hefeweizen, which is a true Bavarian-style Hefeweizen, is starting to rapidly... Uh, ramp up in sales and is going to eclipse the Meritzen soon. But they're just uh, Dan Gordon studied wine Stefan in mm-hmm. uh, Munich, and he's one of the few American graduates ever of the Wine Stefan brewing program. And he not only is devoted to beer, but he's devoted to the process of brewing traditional German beers. And he's built an incredibly beautiful all German lager brewery 
in San Jose. I want to uh, say that if you want to, we'll, we'll call out this in the in the show notes. But there's an amazing interview on the Brewing Network with Dan Gordon that Justin did. And after you listen to this, you have a, an incredible appreciation of the brewer and the brewery and everything that they're trying to do across the United States with their brew houses. And the German process and all that. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting. The uh, Pyramid Bottle is uh, listed as heart brewing. Your Pyramid yeah. Barley wine from when they... Oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's another Belgian beer in here that I really like. It's Lefa Blonde. It's an Abbey Ale. That doesn't mean normal. Sorry? It doesn't mean normal. What's the joke? It's Abbey Normal. Oh, Abbey yeah, yeah, Normal, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, Abbey <laughs> normal. You can drink that on the Eurostar as you're passing through the Channel Tunnel. Can you get it in a vending machine? Uh, I want to say yes. Europe is so cool. <laughs> this, is, um, this is an Abbey Ale. Uh, Abbey Ales are... Beers that are brewed in Belgium by often independent breweries and named after abbeys. There are some actual abbeys in Belgium that still brew beer. And as we all know, Trappist beers are only allowed to be brewed at Trappist abbeys. There's another Appalachian Controlet. There's only five Trappist abbeys in the world, and they all brew beer. And uh, there are a lot of other types of abbeys. And a lot of times a local independent brewer will take the name of a local abbey that is now defunct. Um, often they're in abbey ruins, like mm-hmm. Abbey de Rocks, and they'll take that name in honor of the abbey. But it's also a marketing ploy. So this is Abbey of Abbey de Lefa, but it's brewed by InBev, which is the largest brewer in the world. Uh, I'm not sure if they eclipsed Anheuser-Busch or not. I can't remember. But Anheuser-Busch and InBev are the two biggest um, but unlike Anheuser-Busch, and I'm not knocking Anheuser-Busch, but unlike Anheuser-Busch, at least until recently, InBev has managed to keep a number of beers that they have in their stable that are world-class beers, continue to be world-class beers. This is one of them. I like this beer a lot. Yeah, there are a number of those in your fridge. There are. This is this beer uh, brewed by New Belgium Brewing Company in Colorado, uh, makers of Fat Tire. Yes. Which is odd because New Belgium has always made wonderful Belgian-style beers, and they still make wonderful Belgian-style beers. And Fat Tire is pretty much the only mainstream ale, American ale-type offering they have. And in my opinion, it's the, it's the least exciting of the group. Um, but they actually paired up with um, the Bone Brewery in Belgium, just south of Brussels, to create this beer that they call a Transatlantic Creek. And it's um, New Belgium ale blended with brewery Frank Bone Lambic, fermented with real cherries. So they actually shipped some of Frank Bone's Lambic over to the United States. To Colorado. Colorado, and re-fermented it with cherries and put this beer. Have you guys tried this beer? I have not. Well, let's try this beer. I like the label, too. It's sort yeah. of uh, Russian constructivist. Yes, it's very um, titanic. I want to say this about New Belgium is that it, while we're not impressed with Fat Tire, it is impressive that a lot of people are trying this because yes. the label's cool, the marketing is cool, and they're getting exposed to something that has more flavor, has more hops, has more character than the beer that they were normally trying. It's a good, it's a good beer school beer. This is our first beer that is not brown. 
As I said, we're moving into lighter beers. A rosé wine. Getting your palates ready for the... It has a lot of C in it. For the final push. M. M. has a lot of M in it. Got a lot of M in it. I say we're doing this backwards. This is so good. Okay, this is is full of cherries. Oh, John's got that face. This is called Transatlantique Creek. So if you smell this beer... You get a nose full of cherries as if you've taken, uh, you've got a whole bucket that you've pulled off of the tree and they're ready to make into your pie or just eat without, uh, without doing anything to them. Yeah. Uh, like the, um, um, the blind lust. No, I'm, what am I? What am I thinking about? I'm, I'm, this is probably going to get a little edit done since we're sort of stalled out right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> and I'm talking about the Wisconsin brewery that makes. Oh, uh, 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 New Glarus. New Glarus, like New Glarus, but it's not as as pronounced as the New Glarus. No, the, there's nothing in the world like New yeah. Glarus. The, New Glarus has magic dust in the brewery. We almost they, had we almost had New Glarus on the show last week when we were doing uh, uh, Epiphany and Now mm. because. It really is a style or a beer that I seek out. Uh, and my sister happens to live in Wisconsin, and she's bringing cases of it with her when she moves We had out. a bartender at the 21st Amendment who was from Door County, Wisconsin, which okay. is where they get their cherries, Door County cherries. <laughs> and uh, he's, he was very proud of that fact. But New Glarus cherry beer and, and raspberry beer now as well, but in my opinion, the cherry beer, there is nothing like that beer in the world. If you ever can get your hands on a bottle of New Glarus cherry beer, or Nuclear's raspberry. Yeah, the kids like a raspberry. It's not. It's not. I'm not, I'm not as. Uh, You're not a raspberry guy. I'm not as much well, of a raspberry fan. It, it's a sweeter. It's a. It's a different beer. It's sweeter. But the beauty is, you drink. You, you drink a beer that is cherry beer, and yeah, you get flavor of cherries. But you smell and drink the Nuclear's, and you are like walking through a cherry orchard mm-hmm. surrounded by cherries lying in a field of cherries cherries everywhere cherries you dropping say, on your head. I cannot even fathom how they could get the essence of cherry in this beer so much. <laughs> But this beer is a little bit like that, huh? In the, in it's the a little aroma, bit. I'm, it's not as pronounced. It's it's uh, it's more laid back. Well, it also might be that uh, we are doing the tasting backwards, and our and our palates oh, are yeah, fatigued. We've, we've already wrecked our palates with uh, <laughs> with uh, Belgium style and yes. uh, and uh, barley wines. And if you were coming into this one dry, at the well, we talked about this last week when we were talking about um, Epiphany and now, where if you go to a beer tasting that's like the double IPA festival and you drink double IPAs all day long by the end of the day you can't taste anything no it's called palate fatigue yes or lazy tongue yes or just <laughs> or, or you just blew you just blew out uh, blew out the center well um, it's a pretty color it is a pretty color sometimes you have to do things uh in an unconventional way. I like how it has a nice bitey end. That's what beer school is all about. Exactly. This uh, this is the Stone 10th Anniversary India Pale Ale. And there's a, literally a novel on the back of the bottle. I don't <laughs> even know how they can screen print this. Yeah, they must have gone through many different uh, trials with the bottle maker to get that much text on the back. It's unbelievable how much text they have on all their beers. This is a 10% alcohol 10th anniversary India Pale Ale. I also have a bottle of Stone Ruination IPA. That's tasty too. And uh, their tagline on the label is a liquid poem to the glory of the hop. Ooh. And this is true. This is only a mere 7.7% alcohol. Which is in the style of IPA. 
Which what's that? It's in the style. Which of is IPA. yeah, it's within the range of a traditional IPA. But this is just a beautiful beer. Uh, Stone is a brewery down in San Diego that is just known for making over the top crazy beers. <clears throat> I went to a, a beer appreciation thing down in in uh, Western Hills at the when I was uh, living in L.A. and it was eighteen different stone beers and really? some of them yeah some of them went back 10 years and i'm like how big is your fridge how is it possible that you have 18 examples of old stuff and it was different it, different beers different vintages so yeah, different finishes vin- different vintages and, so it could uh, be five years of one and three of the yeah. other and six of one and, and i actually posted my notes from that show uh from that uh from that flight and uh at one point because there was no ipa in la to speak uh-huh. of like nowhere you could you didn't you weren't able to find it anywhere so i'm drinking this ipa uh not the ruination but the just the stone ipa and i wrote in my notes i want to have a whole pint of this <laughs> <laughs> good stuff it is good uh there's a little joke we have when you go up to uh we went up to some festivals in the pacific northwest i think it may be oregon brewers festival uh, San Diego, for some really indecipherable reason, probably just because of the quality of the brewers, has been just making these crazy, over-the-top, hoppy beers. Yeah, All their beers are just supercharged, hoppy beers. And uh, so somebody up in Portland made a beer called a San Diego-style pale ale. <laughs> this is like an imperial double IPA <laughs> with just you know 8 9% alcohol and 120 IBUs and... Uh, but to San Diegans, that's just a pale ale. <laughs> it's true. No, San, uh, Pizza Port, that's now just Port Brewing, for years I never went there because I thought, what sort of beer could they have? They a, have the stupidest name how, in the whole world. How could it be a Pizza Port? Come on. It sounds like, you know, Chuck E. Cheese. Well, they have the, best, for sailors. the best brewers in the country. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but then when I finally went there, it was like, wow. You have to call that out because we talked about that on the first show. What's that? That uh, Dogfish Head IPA. Yeah, let's talk about this. This is the Dogfish Head 90-Minute Imperial IPA. The Dogfish had uh, incredible, groundbreaking small brewery in Milton, Delaware. They wrote a book about themselves. Yeah, uh, Sam Caligiani, the owner and founder, wrote a book recently about his uh, his journey to do this. But just committed to making crazy beers. They have a 60-minute IPA, and, and the uh, 60 versus 90 refers to the time in the boil. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time in the boil uh, helps to extract hot bitterness. Uh, so, wait, do you throw all the hops in at the same time, or just or is it now, timed? No, um, this particular beer, I'm going to read from the label. Okay, I won't lie to you. What you have here is an imperial India, an imperial India pale ale featuring a single constant 90 minute hop addition. It's balanced by a ridiculous amount of English two row barley. Then we dry hop it in every tank. So. This is a so it uh, does have all the hops in the very beginning of the all the hops in one edition. So you'd use some bittering hop like uh, a Warrior or a Centennial or something crazy like that, and just let it go, let it go to town, boil it for ninety minutes. Have you guys uh, finished that trans- the cherry? Finished the cherry is Let's try part. some Dogfish Head. Mm-hmm. Where is Milton in Delaware? Well, Delaware is about the size of my fist. So. I know. I have, I have a friend who. Uh, you leave Wilmington and you drive west, and three houses from hers is the Pennsylvania border. Yeah, and being from California and from uh, San Francisco area, the idea that uh, one morning we took off, we drove to breakfast, and she goes, "We're in Pennsylvania," and I just, you know, from the 
living out here in the Wild West, being able to like cross state lines to go to breakfast is you know unfathomable. So this I is could, a I this is a bit it. darker than um, both of the IPAs that we had last week, which were the uh, Anchor. We had Liberty Ale, Liberty and we had Bridgeport Ale, IPA. And we had Bridgeport IPA. We had Big Daddy, and we had Big Daddy, and Big Daddy was the lightest of them, and Bridgeport being the the darkest. And this is a bit darker than the uh, Bridgeport. I want to um, pretty. I want to talk about one more beer. Okay. Oh, this is really a fun up. beer. And I just want to talk about this is actually a, a uh, sixteen ounce can of Murphy's Irish Stout, and this is a pub draft can. Uh, as some of your listeners may know, the 21st Amendment is the first Bay Area brewery to put their microbrew beer into cans. And our intention is to bring cans to a national audience. And we are evangelists for good beer in cans because we think that can a can is the best package for beer. And we think that can uh, cans are just a, a really a unique and special addition to the craft beer drinker's lifestyle. But we're really being helped by people like Murphy's and Guinness that are mm-hmm. putting good beer into cans. But as I hold this can, I'm going to shake it a little bit. I'm not sure if, you, if the listeners can hear that, but there's a little thing bouncing around inside there, and it's called a widget. And the widget is the key to a pub draft can. Now, Guinness has traditionally been served on nitrogen. The nitrogen gives it that silky, smooth, creamy texture with mm-hmm. a beautiful, tight head. Nitrogen is a gas that does not dissolve as readily in beer as CO2. So when you pour it, the nitrogen gas wants to come out of solution, and so it creates that cascading head. Mm-hmm. But the nitrogen bubble is a much smaller bubble. It's a much finer bubble than the CO2, so you get that really tight head and that creamy character. And that's easy to achieve on draft because you're actually dispensing under a nitrogen-CO2 mix. Right. But to get it in the can or the bottle had always been something that confounded brewers Mm -hmm. because they could package under CO2 pretty much, and that's it. Well, they could could pump that full of nitrogen. Or they could pump that full of nitrogen. But the key to the draft beer is getting the nitrogen out of solution quickly. Mm -hmm. And so they employed the use of this little device called a sparkler, which sits on the head of the tap. And a sparkler is literally like a fine little screen. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when the beer, when you open the tap and the beer flies through the line and hits that sparkler, it causes a lot of friction because it's forcing the beer through a tiny screen. So it basically forces all that nitrogen out of solution so you get that cascading effect. So the, the challenge was to come up with a way to do that in a can or a bottle. And we came up with the, the widget. The widget. Which is funny because widget's a generic term for anything. Widget is a generic term for, for a thing. But yeah. now it is literally has a meaning. <laughs> and the irony is that Guinness spent you know millions of dollars developing the widget. And of course they copyrighted their, or trademarked rather their, patented, patented thank you. Their, Very big, there's big differences between all those things. Right? <laughs> Let's just edit all that out. Right. So it's patented. <laughs> and they patented their... Um, their methods, and so now every other, every single widget in every brewer's can functions in precisely the same way, but they're all different. Some are round like balls, some are square like boxes, some are fixed to the bottom of the can, some float freely. This one floats freely. But the theory is simply that when you put the widget, which is, think of it as just basically a little plastic box with a tiny pinhole through it, and the beer is... uh, 
is filled on a CO2 nitrogen mixture and then it's capped with nitrogen as soon as the cap goes on. Then the beer is pasteurized and the, the process of pasteurizing the beer creates a vacuum within the can so the beer is sucked inside this little widget. So then what happens is when you open the cold can of beer, another vacuum happens within there and when the nitrogen is released, literally all the beer in the can goes in this circular pattern getting sucked through the widget and back out. And the process is the same as the sparkler, where because it's going through this tiny little pinhole, it's creating a lot of friction that forces the gas out of solution. And that's why you get that cascading effect. That's cool. It's genius. Yeah. It is. And yet so simple. Well, it's basically the same effect of being a diver coming up too fast. So as you as you pop the top... You go through a widget? You, no, you don't. No, it's, it's the decompression effect. If you get the bends, it's kind of like being yeah, through, and it's the same widget. effect as being in uh, as, as having the bends. So uh, for your homework for next week, oh yeah, if homework. I may, I want you to go out and buy yourself a can of Murphy's Irish Stout or Guinness in a pub draft can or, or Boddington's or uh, even Wexford's Irish Cream Ale, and I want you to chill it down and drink the beer. But when you're done, take take a pair of household scissors or a safety good knife. glasses and. Uh, gloves heavy gloves. gloves and cut the can open and take that widget out and examine the widget dissect the widget and appreciate the widget love the widget that's cool homework it's great a little project it is it's a kind of a diy actually a take apart so it's a take take apart so t-a-p and then uh take a picture of the widget and post it to uh the forum at beerschool.com mm-hmm. i think that's a great idea mm-hmm have a little widget gallery. It would be fun. How's the Imperial IPA? I like the way this is. Because uh, I just finished that creek. I'm a little behind you guys. Well, that's because you've been imparting wisdom. Exactly. And I'm just here trying to uh, pet the dog it's so got the a, dog doesn't it's go got any a, further. It's got a mm. pronounced hot beginning, yeah. and it finishes very clean. Yeah. But it also has that nice, bitey, um, uh, lingering flavor in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. That's lovely. But, you, but this is a... You know, this is a beer... This, uh, the dogfish had 90 minute. It's a good example of learning about one hop, one malt. You know, yeah. it's not a complex IPA. It doesn't have 15 hops. It doesn't have 13 malts, you know, where you're all confused about what you're tasting. It's pretty distinct. And and that's a beautiful thing. We make um, we make our, our harvest. Is it yeah, it's, the it's harvest. harvest yeah. One malt, one hop, and you can make a really wonderful beer. Sierra Nevada does that with the barley wine. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple, simple recipe. Then we have a beer like this, which is the Hebrew oh. uh, mo- <laughs> Monumental Jubilation yeah. 10-year anniversary. And yeah. this is actually a really wonderful beer. If you can get a, a hold of the Hebrew 10-year uh, anniversary Jubilation Ale, it's great. It's 10% alcohol, but it's brewed with 10 malts and 10 hops. Yeah. And so the whole kitchen sink is thrown in here, but it's, uh, it's, it's a very, result. It's a very it's chosen ba- beer. It's a very balanced beer, but I, I'm sure that they they tried you know short batches of this before they got it right because there's just no way that you could throw 10 malts in and get that. Well, how many variables are you, are you testing for, and what All is this hop going to do at this point of the beer? And exactly. What's this gonna, yeah. Pretty it's tough. Tweaking. Well, um, what else? With the, uh, with the internal combustion engine starting up across the street. Well, I got one more beer, the watermelon. But we can oh, no, no, no. We can, we can keep going. Okay. Beer's finished. All right. Uh, now, I'm not sure how this is going to play, but uh, I have the prototype, the last bottles of the prototype of the watermelon wheat beer. 
which I homebrewed for the first time back in uh, 1995 or 1996. And uh, this particular batch, probably I bottled about 10 years ago. I think I have a Woody right now. <laughs> this is this is a historical document right here. Okay, I'm gonna ready. I'm gonna get a little pop. Oh, that sounded good. That did sound good. That's so, a happy bottle. It is a happy bottle. It's got a little bit of... Oh, this was the one that foamed. Oh, it wasn't the milk step that foamed. Oh. So we've got a cascade of beer coming out right now. The dog is all Ozzie, excited. Ozzy really likes this foam that's coming the out of the bottle. The dog is all excited and the, and the dog's motor- love watermelon. <clears throat> and the bike is all coming back and... It's chaos. It's chaos here. Let's, Freysia, Let's give it a second. The Freysia backyard. So the head is almost pure white. Like a Who Garden wood beer? Like a Who Garden, which we called Ho Garden. It's very cloudy, not clear at all. But that's, but that's the style of the watermelon. Well, you got a lot of the yeast mixed up in there. Oh, yeah, it's got chunkies. Yeah. It's got chunkies. Wow, it smells like watermelon. But not it a Jolly like Rancher. Wa- it smells like watermelon candy. No, it's not a Jolly Rancher, though. Everybody's enjoying this immensely. Wow. There's the watermelon right there. I am proud to say it's not uh, perfect, but at probably nine or ten years old. And for the type of beer it is at nine or ten years old, this is pretty amazing. It is. Because a wheat beer should not last ten years. Hey, to the, to, uh, oh, yeah. to the watermelon to man. The watermelon. watermelon wheat beer. <laughs> Bravo. So um, the listeners probably won't be able to find this beer at all but <laughs> uh, they will soon in yeah. cans out there in their local market so th- this isn't this isn't that far from the watermelon wheat in a can i really like this yeah this is good yeah it's nice yeah. it's kind of reminiscent of watermelon funk that we had our- no, no watermelon funk had a lot of funk this is just nice rounded off big soft warm slice of watermelon sit on the beach after you had your fried chicken <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Mm. No, this is. I like this, and I'm I'm honored you're sharing this. I'm vintage, happy to share. Vintage it. watermelon weed is to... is a is a uh, pretty unique thing. <laughs> what did I miss? The dog is biting one of the chi- one of the kids' stuffed animals. And it's talking to the dog, and he's going. Oh. Well, we have we have more things in the cooler, but um, we've covered pretty much the gamut of styles and we've, range. Well, of, we've covered all the weird things that you know that are really off the chart from a yeah. beer school point of view, and it's been fun. Well, plus also in the last over it's the last only four seven a.m. right now, when so. we started out with our uh, <laughs> our our uh, what was it? Sapporo, Heineken, oh, right. Guinness, and Miller tasting Getting beyond to American, come this far yeah. in four weeks. I think we're really accelerated students here. Well, no, what we've done is we've really decided that we wanted to try the beers that we like instead of just messing around with the beers that we think that people will like. You've deviated from the mission statement. Well, no, I haven't deviated from the mission <laughs> statement because here's the thing. I want everyone to – these are – all the things we've tried today are beers that I like to drink. And – the thing that happened was is that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have liked any of these beers. Mm-hmm. It, they, you know, like the watermelon wheat that we're tasting. This is great. It has a it has a nice sour finish at the end, like, you know, way back there after you've, tar- after you've tried it. Actually, Nico's done with his. But these are tastes, these are things that I wouldn't have even noticed. And I think that it's important for everyone to know that you get 
you, get you can to, get here. You can get to you here. You can get here from wherever you are. Right. And then it's okay to modify a fridge so that it has, you know, 45, 50 degrees, that you can put a keg in it and make a kegerator out of it and, you know, keep the stuff because your beer taste will change over the years. A lot of people have a spare fridge in their garage right now. Go down to your local homebrew shop. If you don't have a local homebrew shop, go online. There's a million of them. Yeah. You can get a kit that's a, called a refrigerator a refrigerator conversion kit, uh, which puts a tap and a drip tray and a line inside your fridge. You just Basically. drill a hole right through the front of the fridge door which and you've got cool. tap beer. Uh, in lieu of tap beer, you can get an automatic temperature controller that goes between the plug on the fridge and the plug on the wall, and you can dial the temperature into wherever you want. A lot of fun things you can do. And you can get fridges for free. And you can get fridges you can. for free. You can. I think the one that I've had now for 10 years in my garage has cost me 50 bucks. It's a beautiful yeah. mustard color. It's <laughs> an ugly mustard color, but it's in the garage. Whatever. Who and cares? it's got a tap in the door, and we have a keg of 21st Amendment IPA on tap. And you can actually, to make the in fridge. In addition to all this. To make the fridge more, um, to, more efficient, to be more efficient, you can actually turn the freezer part off. Yeah. Or you could just use it as a spare freezer, like I do. Yeah. <laughs> Or just fill it full of uh, empty bottles full of water that maintains. You're not chilling air. You're chilling. Oh, you're chilling solids. Water. Yeah. So then it doesn't even go on. Because my my apartment fridge at home, the freezer is full of water, uh, two liter water bottles, frozen. So you're not trying to refrigerate air, and it's it's more thermal mass to keep things at a constant. That's a good idea. That's too much physics for me. Anyway, so I'm John Foster. I'm Motor. I'm Nico. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to Beer School. You know, thank you for making the trip down to Fresias to was, join me. It was fun. <laughs> we had a good time. And uh, I just have to say this, class dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Thank you very much. That was a good show. Let John Foster take a picture of the class. Excellent. Get out of here. Excellent. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you very much. Hey, kid. Thanks for being thanks for being on the show. You're very welcome. <laughs>